Join author and former Vibe Editor-in-Chief Danielle Smith and Black Girl Songbook as she celebrates and uplifts the talent of Black women in the music industry. Tune in for in-depth discussions with your favorite songwriters, producers, and artists, as well as anecdotes from Danielle. Plus, you'll hear the songs of Black women who changed the landscape of American music forever. Check out Black Girl Songbook exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We only have two things to talk about today. Not because there's only two things that need to be discussed, but to us, there's only two things that need to be discussed. And that is one, we have a new podcast coming up, which we're going to tell you about. And by we, I mean The Ringer. I'm kind of Amanda. Um, And two, and we'll be starting here, Gwyneth Paltrow's Montecito home is prominently featured in Architectural Digest, complete with a 12 plus minute video and a big spread featuring many looks. And if you read it online, the ability to buy many of the items that she references and shows you in her home. And I mean, Amanda, where it's do we Christ- begin? It, well, it's not Christmas come early. It's Christmas come late, honestly, yeah. because we're close. It's Valentine's Day come early. I don't know. I just Gwyneth Paltrow taking me through a Montesino home that she built from, in her words, the ground up with the help of uh, several notable architects and designers. I Is there content that I love more in life? I have to be honest. No, there's not. <laughs> so we love the content. We're going to delight in the content. Yeah. First question. Do you like the house? I mean, listen, would I live there? Sure. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's time already to make a distinction between the house and the, and the decor. Um, do I love the Georgian proportions that are s- cited in the first 45 seconds of this YouTube video? Yes, I do. I really do like the entry hall. 
Do I like the design itself, which is done by the firm Roman and Williams, which you like probably have seen their work somewhere. They're like very essential. They're very influential um, designer architects who like started as set designers Mm. and like did movies and then switched into actually designing spaces and they like Ace Hotel and a lot of the other kind of old timey vibes that you've encountered in restaurants and hotels over the years with like the velvet chairs and such, you know, you kind of know what the vibe I'm talking about Sure, can in some ways be traced to them. So I like what they did at the house. I have some notes on some of the uh, decor choices, the lighting choices, the mirror choices, and um, any the, notes on the, fireplaces? There's so many fucking fireplaces. I'm pro. I'm pro the fireplaces. I honestly all think that them? sounds great. Why not? Like, I, first of all, as you know, I actually. Well, that's right. You've never been to my house. That's so weird, Juliet. That you've never well, been to this house. I'd like um, to come. You're invited anytime. It's just sort of there's been a pandemic. It's been bad, bad timing. Yeah. Um, I have non-functional fireplaces in my home as well. Uh, so I'm sensitive to that and quite envious of the fact that hers seem to work. I bet to say hers are not non-functional. She right. points yeah. it out. They're not right. non-functional. They're no, the- I think I'd prefer non-functional, to be honest, but that's just me. They're reclaimed. They look great. I mean, I okay. should definitely talked about them being European way too much, but, you know, whatever. Gwyneth Paltrow, here's my pr- primary sort of axe to grind. Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow several tra- times tried to imply that she was like, tapping into some architectural history that was tied to the house and the location. And she used a lot of like watchwords, like reclaim fire mm-hmm. fireplaces. And um, she used like reclaimed a few times as, as related to that Portuguese tile, which was lovely. She also mentioned um, some feature that was quote systemic to the house. Okay. There's no system here. Gwyneth Paltrow built this house recently. And anything she reclaimed is overshadowed by like the distance to which it took to like get these items to her house. So the implication this is remotely eco-friendly is so absurd. It kind of like gets to the heart of the goop haters. And I wouldn't say I'm a goop hater, but I'm definitely not a goop believer. Okay. I mean, you're not a goop believer, but you sometimes appreciate the absurdity. I will I like say, a goop, I like a goop travel guide. My favorite thing about goop is the travel guides. Those yeah, are great. They're fantastic. She's traveled everywhere. It's, they're really great recommendations. She's lived a lot. She lived in London for a while. I'm not sure if you know. She only said it a few times in the video. <laughs> Did it have anything to do with the fireplaces that are in the house? Um, there is like a, a garbage language. Do you remember Molly Young wrote a piece in New York Magazine? That might be like five years ago now, which is just about just the total corruption of how we speak to each other, whether mm-hmm. it's because of business jargon or because of like, you know, Internet forms a new language that I don't actually that's not garbage. But like there are different types of of lang- you know, garbage language um vernacular specific to world worlds that are like taking over that if you're not in the world seem like total just code like you have no idea what they're talking about and she is definitely speaking in like a wellness silicon valley founder garbage language throughout this video that i'm not a huge fan of and also like a little bit design instagram 
influencer just like nonsense of just trying to make things like the systemic thing. Every once in a while, I use a word that's not the word it's supposed to mean, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. sometimes you get mixed up in life, but she's definitely speaking to all of the people who are doing, I don't know what on like design Instagram, trying to (laughs) sell things. And she definitely, as you noted, like mentions, there's like an Emily in Paris note of this, of, she'll point out a feature and be like, that's so-and-so's collaboration with something. And she like, the product placement is like, is like pretty obvious within the video itself, which on the one hand, I'm sure Gwyneth Paltrow gets like offered a lot of free or cheap stuff in exchange for mentioning it and can't really blame her. That's how the world works. Yeah, sure. Sure, Right. But, but there is, there, there is something studied to the way that she's presenting all of it that I agree is not, inviting necessarily also like it just doesn't make sense like i understand like there's georgian proportions but i would say the theme of this house if i didn't watch the video and like just looked at the pictures would be like garish neoclassical with like all of the the stone and marble and that is not georgian at all and like even down to the proportions like it, it just sort of like doesn't make sense and like that's fine because it doesn't have to be Georgian proportions. It doesn't have to be neoclassical. But like, I just feel like there's like this attempt to cultivate some kind of like theme that doesn't match what I'm looking at. That That's true. She does say at one point in the video that in her last home, she learned from its previous owner who was, who was a designer that you could have different floors in different rooms. Mm-hmm. And she's like, so I'm not afraid of different floors in different rooms. And... That's good. It's good to not be afraid of stupid things like different floors and different rooms. But there are definitely different floors and different ideas in each of the four rooms that were shown in the video. That's the other thing. Like, are we shown a bedroom? Are we shown a living space? She says that they spend a lot of time on that couch in the living in in whatever living room next to the like insane bar. Like no one has ever stepped foot in this home is one of my takeaways from this video. How do you feel about the indoor swinging $60,000 hammock? I mean, it does look comfortable. I would, if she sits on it, that's great. I don't, I don't really care. It is one of those design pieces where you imagine it taking up a lot of room and then no one ever uses it. Yeah. Again, I don't see a lot of livability in this home beyond the kitchen. But <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm sorry that I started on such a hater's tone, but that's just goop. Yeah. I have to say the the spa is unbelievable. I mean, that is like Hearst Castle shit and it's awesome. Yeah, but it like to me that's the creepiest part of the video because that's just that looks like where all of like you know, like the blood transfusions that happen in order to keep like Goop's front facing staff alive. Like it, like it's so clinical and weird and where everyone goes to die. Like I'm very creeped out by it. It's like a crypt. It's like a crypt come spa. It really is. And you know, part of that is like, I just, I don't feel comfortable without natural light, but also it's very large and foreboding and strange. And also at some point, I mean, I understand in the pandemic, it's great to have everything come to you, but like, isn't, part of going to the spa like going somewhere else and like having a treat and having you know like being being elsewhere I I don't know that's what I thought the appeal was my new impression of Montecito is it seems like a place for celebrities to go to stay home all the time yes because they have like giant homes it's like really famous people who can't go anywhere without being photographed like Oprah 
Ellen, Megan and Harry, David Foster, like people. Yes, only David <laughs> Foster, right? Just can't go anywhere <laughs> well, without the paparazzi Mc- in his face. When him and Catherine McPhee step out in Montecito, I always know about it. Right. That's true. But that's also because they're. You they know. call the paparazzi. Yes. Anyway, between <laughs> dealing with their Instagram photos, whatever. Um, I take your point. The point of this house is like to like basically never leave. And I say that because the spa reminds me of the spa at the Montage Beverly Hills Hotel, which I've only been to one time. But like it looks a lot like that. And so okay. she, it's like basically like this house is a hotel for Gwen. it's her own hotel, which yeah, it seems great. It does, but it doesn't seem particularly homey. Not cozy at all. It's because there's so much stone. Stone is not cozy. That's Here's one of my the other things. And and I'll just say this as a person who has been trying to decide to solve some of her own lighting issues in in a home for a long time. But we are in just a lighting and mirror crisis in America, <laughs> Juliet. Like it's like a full blown crisis. And obviously we have many more crises like that of of much more pressing nature. And I don't mean to equate it with any of them, but the light fixtures in this video are to a bulb horrific. I'm so sorry. And can you imagine like how much money they cost? Because all lighting, even like lighting that you think should be affordable is like crazy expensive. Well, she has so many just like dangling cords as a result of these horrific lighting fixtures. And it's such a messy look for otherwise pretty like clean and tidy design. It's really bizarre. And then the mirrors are also there's a lot of like, I don't know whether it's like brass or unfinished, whatever, but you you know, like the the metal that I'm talking about here that's yeah. consistent through a lot of the light fixtures and finishes and, and you know, handles and, and, and mirrors or whatever. But I'm sure they cost like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, but there's like only so much you can do with a light apparently and only so much you can do with a mirror. And honestly, this house looks like it was staged you know, for an open house in the Los Angeles area. Yeah. Like uh, on Sunday. It's and and I and I think also the way that the shoot was staged with just absolutely no personal object, objects whatsoever contributes to that sort of haunted real estate quality. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a really good point. Also like even the art, like I'm I'm looking at the photo that of the um indoor hammock and mm-hmm. you can kind of see one of the messy looking sh- uh, light fixtures. This is a, called a paradise chandelier. And to your point, it's forty five thousand um, dollars. Sure. And like the art in here, it just looks like really generic. Like it's like attempting to look like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, but just looks like West Elm's attempt at Metropolitan Museum of Art. Right. <laughs> and, and that's like that's like a a John Baldessari painting. That's like a real artist, but also is reminiscent of any sort of text art that you can find in someone's Instagram photo. You know, yeah. like this for the amount of money and design concept that went into this does not look dramatically different from Instagram core. No, it doesn't at all. And like you said, there's like no personal charm to it. And I I have to say, like, while it's exciting, I guess, to be able to go to Architectural Digest and like buy Gwyneth Paltrow's stuff if you have that amount of money, which I do not and never will, it also like makes the allure of it like significantly less. Like being able to just like buy the same plates as her is kind of weird. And she's like so aspirational and like just having these links is the opposite, opposite of aspiration. Well, the plates are so interesting because I'm so glad you brought them up. Let's talk about the kitchen for a second. Okay. 
I she makes a point about having the range in the center so she doesn't have her have to have her back to people while cooking, which I thought actually was genius. And I was like, that's a great idea. But like plenty of people have a, an island on their have a range on their island. She didn't invent that idea. No, she didn't invent it. But it's like it's like not that common. And, and I don't it's have true. it. And Nor I. I'm like, oh, that that would be lovely. Like that. That seems like a cool thing that I would like to have a beautiful range. I think the fireplace I, like I don't know why I needed to hear about how long it took her to find the molding for the, the <laughs> Pinterest fireplace or whatever. But like a fireplace in the the kitchen seems really cozy. Yeah. So I think that's cool. For the most part, she's got cabinetry. But when they show all of the pans and the open shelves, I just started screaming inside. I just like we have to stop it with the open shelves. I hate it's open just shelves not- too. Functional. You have to clean everything all the goddamn time. And it's like, also, those aren't the pans she's actually using. Like, also, those are, she had so many I mean, they cast were, irons. They were so beautiful. Like I, They were beautiful, I, but like, what's the point of having so many cast irons? Like, you, like the pans, not even like the Dutch ovens. Oh, like I could, we could, Zach Barron, my husband, could find a use for all of them, Juliet. That guy, like I, that man and his, his one cast iron and the amount of time that he spends like caring for it and the various accoutrements that he has That's to great. clean it. It's like a little deranged, but so I think he would love to have them of all shapes and sizes. I mean, I was like, this is beautiful. I love all of this cookware and it's all just going to get like dust and like shit on it. Like I, I, I I was so stressed out looking at it, but for the most part, she's using cabinets, which is great. Um, but then there is that sort of that, that giant dish wall, which I actually thought was like very pretty. And she says, it's so nice to be able to have these dishes out. And I wait for her to tell some story about like, you know, I, I found these yeah. somewhere on my travels or these were given to me by somebody or, you know, whatever. Or these are like, here's the story behind them. And they're just like available on Moda Operandi, apparently. That's I know. Like the t- I know. I feel the same way. My grandmother collected plates and she had like a, a plate wall in her in her apartment and her Mitchell Llama apartment. And mm-hmm. It was awesome. I love those plates. I collect tile. Like it's like a similar idea, but like, yeah, if you can just like buy these, you know, and then, and also like they look, they're from, they're like, you know, $200 plates, but you can get ones that look really similar for much less. Like I, I can tell you. And it just, it just was like, which it was like very expensive, but cheap. You know what I mean? Which like also like in a way is, is cool actually that you can, that you don't have to spend $400 on like this ridiculous plate in order to create something. You yeah, know, like of course. It's, it's, not, it's not like that's one of the joys only, of ceramics. Only They're fancy f- things should like be available to only fancy people. That's not at all, but there's something. No, no I about- totally agree. It's just, there's, it's really expensive with no meaning. That's what I mean by saying it's cheap is like, I think that like a, a $3, what it doesn't really matter the price If it has meaning to you yeah. and you want to display it. Like that's like great. I think one of the reasons we heard about, her living in London so much is because like nothing in the house seems to have any particular meaning exactly. outside outside totally. of like something practical or which is fine, but like it's like so highly designed but with no personality. It was like very strange and yeah. I I don't know it, it was really struck me. That, that's like that's one of the places where just sort of like that product placement of it all like really stood out or just the which again that's how all business like certainly all Instagram business work at this works at this point and I don't really care but I was like this is this is this is kind of weird so I but they're nice plates I guess I don't know I, I like yeah. the blue at least there's I really like the tile that you identified in the kitchen and at least there's yeah, some color I mean I was thinking a lot about the echoes in this house because it's all hard services yeah can you imagine <laughs> 
No. And as I think I've said, like my primary criteria for liking a house is identifying a space to stay on the couch for eight hours to watch an entire Netflix series. And I didn't, I didn't see that space in this house. Maybe it's there. I just didn't see it. Who knows? Well, that's the thing. We're only seeing four rooms. I'm sure that there are more or maybe five. I don't know. But you're not seeing the whole house. No. So and all of this looks like very designed and like no one lives in it. So maybe at some point it will look lived in. I, it I is don't a second know. home. Yeah, so. that's that's like an uninvited. I don't know. The pool looks really nice. The pool. Yeah, I would say the outdoor spaces look fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Montessori is beautiful. This was bizarre. I'm 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 sorry. I just my 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 goop hating comes out sometimes. It's not that I hate her. I'm just like I just drives me insane sometimes with the with like the other thing is this wasn't aspirational because it was like first of all I wasn't into it, but moreover I know the price of everything. So it's like there's right. no dream involved here. Yeah, it, I guess it does weirdly feel like the the goop culmination in what started as sort of like Gwyneth Paltrow being like, hey, here is a completely out of touch, but sort of uh, at like kind of daffy and inviting newsletter about how great my life is, including like what all my rich friends tell me to do and where I travel. Yeah. And, and then, and, and the gift of consciously uncoupling. I mean, I think sure. Regardless totally. of where you stand on Gwyneth Paltrow, totally. that's one of the greatest gifts to pop culture. So thanks but Gwyneth. It was, it was a personal expression that started a whole generation of, you know, actress turned influencers and, but has definitely become sales focus. And it's like, here's the candle. And here is our like goop jeans cellular. I don't even know what they're selling. (laughs) I like see it and my brain turns off. And like, here is the, the actual goop aesthetic that we have articulated that we're now like trying to sell back to people which is fascinating. And obviously she's been quite successful with it. Like I, I yeah. don't, you know, I don't begrudge her that at all, but it feels impersonal. Yeah. What but a ride. I still was so excited to have the access Me too. to it. So we've like, so been talking cares? about this for approximately 20 minutes. It's so amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. Thank you so and it's gone by so fast for me. Um, on that note, let's get to our second item of the day, which is Starting next week on Monday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, the day post Super Bowl, we have a new pod starting on Ringer Dish called Just Like Us, The Tabloids That Changed America. It mm-hmm. is hosted by Claire Malone of The New Yorker and previously of 538 and ABC News. And Amanda, you produced it and worked very closely with her. And that will be running on Mondays for eight weeks, beginning next Monday, as I said. And we are about to talk to Claire about this project. It was a delight to work on and a delight to work on with Claire. And it's about the, she'll explain it further, but it's about the celebrity tabloids of the 2000s when I feel like Jam Session's collective mind was forged. So absolutely, it, it's, it's very exciting. <laughs> um, we hope you enjoy that. And you're probably wondering if your feed's going to get really crowded because you also introduced this new series tentatively currently called Pop Culture History Lesson, which I came up with and is a terrible name. Uh, that's on Wednesdays. And the reason we have all this new programming is because Amanda, this is your last jam session for a few months. And it therefore, is. our last jam session for a few months. It is. Yes. We tr- we tried to program some things in the interim, but yeah, one way or another, apparently some, some new people are coming to live at my house and <laughs> uh, I'm going to be spending some time with them. So I, I hope you guys enjoy just like us. I look forward to listening to pop culture history lesson or what, however you decide to pop that. I think it's an okay name. Okay. 
Well, I mean, it's like to the point. You don't need to yeah, get cute. It's, it's what it is. Anyway, <laughs> so I, I'm I'm going to be a fan for a few months and I'm really looking forward to it. Um. Well, that's great. And on that note, let's get into Claire and Amanda. We wish you well, but thank in, you. The, in the real way, not in the jam session <laughs> okay, way. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll take either. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Now we are joined by Claire Malone of The New Yorker. And more importantly today, at least to me and Amanda, the host of Just Like Us, our podcast that is coming on this feed next week about the tabloid and celebrity culture of the beginning part of this century, I would say. Claire, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, of course. Uh, you and Amanda have been working on this pod for a really long time. I'm particularly excited about it as a friend, a fan, and a colleague. Um, Thank you for all three hats. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, I think in your own like summary, will you just give an overview of what the show is and why you wanted to do it? Yeah. Okay, so the, the show is eight episodes. And basically, I think the way that we've we've been thinking about it is it's a history of the 2000s and 2000s media and the 2000 brain, pop culture brain, told through tabloids and tabloid stories. Um, so we kind of start off at the beginning of the decade with Us Weekly and like the print dominance and Benefer is kind of our first big tabloid uh, couple. And we sort of move through the decade and talk about the rise of digital media and we use TMZ and um, all the sort of weird <laughs> celebrity characters that we got out of TMZ to talk about, um, A, the rise of websites like that, and B, the rise of these weird celebrities that are not really celebrities that we only kind of got to know as as these tabloid characters. Um, and then we kind of like end with what happens when 
when reality TV so and uh, the internet kind of take over the good, fun, glossy tabloids, and we everything sort of <laughs> I don't even know what to say, Amanda, falls apart from there as far as <laughs> traditional tabloid media goes. I suppose it depends on your perspective, but, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, I have this line in the show, and I think it's true, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do the show was I was like 15 or 16 in 2002. And just like, I I think I have this line in the podcast that it's like spelunking through my teenage brain and, and sort of trying to figure out why, why I think the way I do about all these things as an adult, you know, an adult knowing better about like, I don't know, a whole host of things like women and how to view, um, you know, just celebrities and, and scandal. And, and I just thought about like, um, I guess there's a lot of reexamination that's happening in pop culture and this is that, but it's also, um, I think I tried to talk about some of the fun that is tabloids and why we keep on coming back to gossip to sort of tell us what we actually think about real life and real people. And it's a little bit like, um, it's the more honest side of ourselves when, when we're talking about gossip and tabloids, it's, it's kind of like not mediated through, necessarily always the the better angels and the more politically correct side of ourselves <laughs> or America. It's like it's like who we actually are. And sometimes who we actually are is like maybe a little sexist, maybe a little, you know, like things like that. So um that's kind of what the series is trying to do and talk about changing media uh to boot. It's funny you say that about like who, like who what we want celebrities to be and like who we really are because just like us obviously is a reference to Us Weekly's stars are just like us recurring feature. I always I'm curious who you guys think of like I think of Cameron Diaz as like the prototypical stars are just like us celebrity for like her always wearing the same jean shorts. Who do you guys think of? Reese Witherspoon. Mm. I think for some reason it's like Drew Barrymore holding yes. a Starbucks cup. But it's really honestly for me at this point, it's an interchangeable celebrity, but the Starbucks cup is really there. Do you remember that moment of like yeah, the, of course. the venti? Of course. Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to note, Amanda and I both ch- uh, chose Charlie's Angels. Uh, which oh, I think that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> which really speaks to the 2002 moment. That movie came out in 2001. If I recall correctly, and I know because I remember being on the school bus on the way home from high school. And uh, anyway, we or it's just or it's just like the fashion. Like I always think of like people's hip bones jutting out from jeans in those just like us things in a horrified way because that's how I think of it. (laughs) Yeah, in a and like the big kind of ugly uh, wraparound like square glasses. Which actually, I'm thinking of Cameron Diaz now when I'm thinking about that. Cameron Diaz was like the was like the girl. Like she was like the woman. She, I mean, she went from something. So there's something about Mary to Charlie's Angels, sweetest thing. I mean, holidays for me is probably one of the most important movies of all time. Like it was, it was her. She and then obviously dating Justin Timberlake. I was so gonna like, say yeah. and dating Justin Timberlake. Who- yeah, and like the first like she's older. And I, Amanda and I were texting about this. A great part about Jennifer Lopez is that she's older than Ben Affleck, and that's a great part about Ben Affleck for dating her. Um, but like in general, I think there's like these like small moments that we remember and I'm curious Claire like how the kind of humanity of the celebrities um seem different to you upon revisiting this era well they're definitely a lot more three-dimensional I think I totally was in the mindset of these are like 
paper doll, cardboard cutout, whatever you want to say, people that I just like look at in magazines. They were like, they really were not real people to me at all. And I think, I think a lot of people still feel that way about celebrities because it is kind of, they are extremely unrelatable, but there was something about, (laughs) so they're not just like us. They're not just like us, but there was something about the two thousands where like now things like this podcast or things like, um, I don't know, just like there's a lot more cynicism and a lot more like we know more about the behind the scenes of the celebrity world now because of the Internet, basically. But back then, when I was reading those tabloids or reading like Vanity Fair or whatever, I thought that it was like that. Do you know what I mean? I thought like, this is a little of this, this is teenage brain, too. But like we weren't given the kind of behind the scenes. So I definitely had the view that like. Everyone was going to I don't know. Now I'm just thinking about Ben Affleck going to Tiffany's at the uh, at the mall. Right. <laughs> I thought that was in 2021, was... to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's and it's and it's I don't know. So like I I really and by the way, speaking of Cameron Diaz, someone told me during the reporting of this uh, podcast, they were like the greatest paparazzi shot of all time is Cameron Diaz and Justin Timberlake kissing on a surfboard. And it's like they're in the middle of the water. And they they, they well, were telling me the story. I remember that. I think that she got hit in the face with the surfboard shortly thereafter. <laughs> I'm serious. I think there was like a surfboard incident where she like, and that was in Hawaii. I, and they're on vacation, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And apparently it took a lot to get the shot. But I think they got the shot before she got smacked. But but it is a funny time that in that moment in the 2000s, like them kissing on the surfboard is what makes it into the tabloids. And now, of course, it would be the smack. We would have like a, you know, like a whole photo carousel of like Cameron Diaz gets hit in the face by something or other. Like we expect the behind the scenes of it all to be a part of the content now. And it's totally. like it is really interesting that that was one of the things working on the series with Claire that stood out to me of um, how. I don't want to say naive we were, though, I, you know, I'm, I'm a similar age. So we were younger and maybe not asking the same questions. But like the Brangelina episode is very interesting because we talk about Team Jen and Team Jolie and or Team Anison and Team Jolie and like the T-shirts and everything. And I don't want to. It was not simpler. It was really messed up. But I was it was not more conscious. Reduc- it was more reductive. Exactly. It wasn't simpler, but it was way more reductive. And there wasn't room in the way there was now to actually talk around the issues at all. And by the way, I think some people miss the reductiveness, right? Like some people are annoyed that we are lending, like lending more 3D-ness or humanity to celebrities because they're kind of like, well, you know, screw them, right? Like there is, I think there is also this reaction of like, God, do we have to humanize these people too? Which is interesting, you know, like, well, and I feel like that's a theme in the show. And that's also like a theme of Jam Session of of being a consumer of this stuff and like yeah. an enthusiastic consumer as Juliet and I are like every week. And Claire, I hope I, you don't mind that I'm speaking for you. You are no, also an I'm enthusiastic consumer. Yes. Like we, you know, like <laughs> listener when consumer. these things happen, like the text chains light up. But balancing that sense of con- reading this stuff. And knowing it's maybe like not as good for you and also not as good for the people. But as soon as you start thinking about that, it's way less fun. It's way less, way fun. less and I, fun. And I think, I mean, not to make it way less fun, but like Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are the perfect example of that. Right. Where it's like they're legitimately effed up things that happen in the press coverage to them. I think a lot of people are also kind of like. There's there's skepticism around. 
I don't know. Is Meghan Markle a social climber? Is Harry, is Prince Harry like exploiting his family or doing something untoward? Like those are also things that we talk about and probably would have focused fully on had that story happened in like 2003. We would have only focused on like she's a social climber who who was like out to trap him and like he's a traitor to his family. Like those would have been the only storylines. And those are obviously prevailing ones now. But we also talk about like the racism and the fact that the paparazzi does stalk them and there have been like lots of lawsuits and we talk a little bit about that in the series the kind of harry megan campaign against the paparazzi but it is a lot more sometimes complicated conversations are a lot less satisfying for people when it comes to things that that's like you kind of just want to you want to have a you want to have a team you want to have a team and a sure team (laughs) or team Team lc or team Kristen. you know that exactly came came shortly thereafter yes um (laughs) I think also just the biggest difference is like there's no direct address and the camera there was no direct address and the camera Diaz like interesting because she just sort of like stepped back and she didn't have to make an announcement because like her her recession from the four was before Instagram like acknowledgement of what you're doing became like the de facto behavior for a celebrity. And so not having both the like direct access to your fan base, but also like not having to um present a a specific image every day, like just kind of made things also that actually was simpler, if not reductive. Like the, the, the actress didn't have to be a brand too. Yes. She could just be like, I'm done acting because I don't like what you've done to me. Right. And I just like love Cameron Diaz. It's actually like a result of jam session (laughs) and the rewatchables. Like I didn't really realize that I loved her, but now I like just defend her and like Kate for her at all opportunities. Is she, is she going to come back as an actress or is she just doing the wine thing? Yeah. She's no, she kid. seems happy. Yeah. 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 I think she's like, like, like love and life. Like Gwyneth Paltrow, right? Yeah. It's like she's doing what she always wanted to do. Um, <laughs> who is the celebrity that like in your research, like you change your mind about the most? <sighs> if anyone. I'm just sort of curious. And Amanda, you can answer too of you as a as a, a co-pilot to this research. It's such a good question. I mean, Obviously, I think Britney Spears needs to come off the table as she's been relitigated sure, yeah. a lot in the last yeah year. And and, and right by the way, so. there is there is an episode about that um, about Britney and and really about like the paparazzi involvement in Britney and and Claire does a lot of really um, interesting and like sometimes like fairly galling reporting about like how paparazzi work and how they interacted with Britney and like all of the behind behind the scenes stuff, um, which. So you'll get your content and it's interesting and also, you know, a little queasy making. Is that fair to say, Claire? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, Um, But I think that's right in terms of like we've all been reexamining Britney. So who's like an interesting one? I mean, two people are popping into my brain, one of whom I Lindsay Lohan, Mm. you know, is someone who I think I have a lot more um, empathy for as an adult. in part because you go back and watch clips of her on, you know, talking to Ryan Seacrest and she's 17 and, sh- you know, technically should be in high school. And everyone's like, all the headlines are about her breakups and like a cat fight and her boob, like, did she get a boob job? And then like, is she dating Wilbur, Wilbur Valderrama, who's like way too old for her and her parents are messed up. And it's just like, you kind of, you kind of realize all these crazy things that were happening to her. And like, I thought about how I felt at 17 and I'm like, holy smokes, like, like society kind of Hollywood kind of did a number on her. And obviously like, you know, as an adult, she's had a lot of problems. Um, Although apparently staging a little bit of a comeback. So that's good. And I think, you know, people have 
it come like she's she's getting more acting work, not necessarily a Hollywood comeback. So she's someone I kind of softened on, I think. But mm. the other person that comes to mind that honestly, in the end, I didn't really I didn't change my view about her per se so much as thought about her more is Angelina Jolie, mm. which is I mean, she's fascinating. <laughs> you know, she's she's <laughs> she's one of these people who I think does work the press in this very specific way has. I mean, you know, there were so many young Angelina Jolie clips that we wish we could have used because, you know, sure. her, yeah. her Billy Bob years were really something else. Tremendous content. <laughs> Truly tremendous. And, um, you know, I'm like a team Aniston person, right? Like, sure. I, you know, I talk about that and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a simple lady. You know, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I sided with the person I felt had been wronged. Um, but, you know, like the Angelina Jolie discourse around motherhood is complicated and I think like she did you know she and Brad Pitt made a lot of interesting choices around the way they like rolled out their relationship and rolled out you know his relationship with her kid um before they had kids of their own and I definitely thought a lot more about the way that we stereotyped her as the other woman as kind of like the wicked witch but at the end of the day I was kind of like I still like Jennifer Aniston more Mm. And there's a little bit of that theme, I think, in the podcast of like, I, I always call ingrained sexism and all this stuff like uh, it's like my 1987 brain. Like there, there's some things that are just like the neural pathways have been grooved so much with like the toxic stuff that you that you learn that you're that there's a little bit of like in my gut. I was kind of like, yeah, but I'm still Jennifer, I'm still on Jennifer Aniston's side. <laughs> all this, And I don't know what that says about me, but I, I spent a lot more time thinking about like. Angelina Jolie as like a more complicated character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have one more in the same vein, which I I think this show does a very good job. And Claire is very smart about unpacking like all the ways that this stuff trained our brains, you know, because I like I also consumed it at an impressionable age and really loved it. And I think a lot of us did. And the consequences are ongoing. But one thing I one person I hadn't thought enough about is Paris Hilton. And it's really weird to say, like, I haven't thought enough about yeah. Paris Hilton. Perhaps I've thought far too much about Paris Hilton in my life already. And perhaps the problem with America is that we've all thought too much about Paris Hilton. But Claire really locates a lot of the Paris Hilton associations in the time and in the media and and frankly, even in like kind of the the politics of that era and this era. And it's pretty sinister. And so I, while I'm like, I have given far too much brain cell to this person. I'm also like, it's still sort of unexamined the way that this type of celebrity and this particular person has had an effect on the way that we all talk about everything now. Mm. I mean, I had someone say like Paris is, um, you know, the reason why millions of of you know 16 year old girls are like in their room doing tiktoks like she she started the attention economy um which i think is <clears throat> there's a pretty good argument to be made for that and so paris as sort of the the progenitor of like kim you know we talk about kim sure. we talk about the kim come up and like you know i also think we you know kim as like a student of fame and celebrity is maybe something that's like known a little bit more now but just the way that she watched Paris kind of become a Kim star. Yeah. 
Kim and Chris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, and like, Par- you know, I think Paris in 2022 is kind of a weird, I think it strikes a different well, weird note. Yeah. It, it, like, you two clearly don't watch the Beverly Hills Housewives because it's, it's also. Oh, whole- I do. I oh, do. Oh, my God. There's a whole other level to this of like knowing Kathy now too, where it's just like, this is Kathy's incredible and like, so like on a different planet. It's weird that Paris is so firmly from our planet earth to me. Yeah. Kathy, Kathy comes up and we talk to Elliot Mintz. Amazing. <laughs> I love Kathy so much, but I also think another thing that is interesting to think back on is, um, like sort of the racial dynamic of the simple life too, with Nicole Richie cast as like the sidekick. And it's just like, why? Like Nicole Richie is like, actually a really talented and smart and funny person. I was quite taken with her on the Amazon show, making the cut mm-hmm. or whatever that show is called. Um, and she's like, also talk about Cameron Diaz, her sister-in-law. It's like, all comes back to Cameron Diaz, but <laughs> I think just also like looking back on sort of like the, um, the sort of almost like the very plasticky blonde image of Paris Hilton and sort of, and then at the, like how like Nicole Richie was almost like her like dowdy sidekick was like very strange in retrospect because like if I had to choose to spend time with either of them I would definitely choose Nicole Richie there's no question she was the funny she was the funny one I mean yeah. and it's like there know, was no space for for her she was just like a more nuanced textured rich and famous person already as well but like there was like no way to like interpret her in like the very simple uh, framework of tabloids and like celebrity culture in 2005 the whole thing of like. Um the sidekick kind of person or like what we considered like quote unquote fat back right. in that era. Cause like that was her thing. They were like, Oh, it's, it's like Paris's chubby friend. And you're like, you go back and look at promo photos and you're like, what? It's insane. You know, also they it, put her in clothes that like made her look bad instead of giving yes. her like flattering clothing to show off like what a great figure she has. It actually made me think about, I don't know if I, people make comparisons of like the simple life in Paris and Nicole Richie as like, the 2000s version of Lucy and Ethel. Mm. And I think I remember reading somewhere that it was in the actress that plays Ethel's contract that she had to be like 10 pounds heavier than Lucy because she was supposed to be like Lucy's like fun, like funny, chubby friend. Like, and again, you go back and look and you're like, Ethel is not like, (laughs) Ethel's not bad. (laughs) This is a plot point in the Aaron Sorkin film being the Ricardos. And I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you guys can imagine Aaron Sorkin handles it with a a lot of sensitivity (laughs) and nuance. How does it compare to Julian Fellows' handling of, um, I'm saving this for my, for a, for a binge when it's just me and I don't have to give any takes, but have you um, watched uh, the Gilded Age, Claire? I haven't, but it's funny. I didn't realize it was coming out and I started the house of mirth again, like last weekend. I was like, Oh, this is like, don't get your hopes up, but (laughs) (laughs) okay. House of mirth. It ain't, but that's a great book. Um, I also, it's funny. Just like the whole concept of a sidekick. Wasn't Paris Hilton one of the first celebrity endorsers of the sidekick? The phone. That sounds very familiar. I feel like I can see the pink sparkle. The bejeweled yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. She was like, you know, going back to like the sort of Instagram and TikTok attention economy. She was very early to like using her celebrity for sh- for shilling product. Like very early. We talk about that. She had an amazing number of like brand deals and then spent like a ton of time. If you if you ever watched the I think the documentary came out a couple of years ago and you're and you're kind of like, oh, what was Paris Hilton doing for the past 10 years? She was like going to Dubai and like Baku, Azerbaijan, and just like doing what she did in LA in 2003, but like for a, for a whole new audience. It's wild. Yeah. That's so wild. I really want to go to Baku. It looks cool. As seen <laughs> it's in the for- Formula One races. It's the party capital of the, <laughs> of the Caucasus, you know? <laughs> yeah, because you can drink there, right? 
Yeah, you can drink there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you got, got a party in Baku. Uh, it also has like this old city. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it has like all this like old like crenellation like right on the water. And then like you zoom out and it's like all this new modern like it's wild. It's a real collision of things. By the way, Juliet, I, I think I started watching Formula One Drive to Survive with yes. my father during the pandemic because of your recommendation. We got we got very into the. Did you like it? We loved it. Yeah, Do you wake up now to watch show. the to watch the races? No, I don't watch the races. I just, okay. but it's like, I'm you might very want to. into it. It's fine. The it's, face Julia just made. This is like, <laughs> you're not officially in the club. No, team. I'm so yeah. glad you watched and enjoyed the show. You know, that production company has expanded their deal with Netflix. So they're doing a show that they're shooting right now on um, t- professional tennis covering the WTA and oh, the, Can't wait. It's, yes, yeah, so they're covering the men and women's tours and they're doing golf, which like, I definitely have no interest in a golf show. But Neither. based on how much I love Drive to Survive, I mean, the only thing about about golf is it's not really like the same like international they're circuit. Flat. They're not like flat. Like these guys are so flashy, and like what's like the fact Beyond. that wealth wealth is so inherent to like success in Formula One. It's just yes. it's, it's so it's amazing. Yeah. Did you watch season two? I think I've watched all the seasons. Alex Albon, the um, Thai British man who yeah. is not rich, oh, like I yeah. love him. Love, 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 love because he's like different and it's like such an interesting counterweight to so many of these people. But I will just say, I don't think golf has the same like international jet setting appeal, though it is also an international sport. And right. Like that. who's like who's the fuck boy of golf? Like who's the Australian? I think there's driver? honestly a few of them. Yeah, uh, there's okay. a few of them. And I'm like sad. to. I'm not going to say their names because I don't want to admit that I know the answer. In <laughs> like public, Dustin Johnson's definitely up there. Brooks Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. Who wears like one of those bad hats. Yeah, there's I really unfortunately I, far too many. I'm excited to hear that they're making a tennis version of this um, because I already do get up to watch tennis. So I would love some content to go with it. But oh, my gosh, the no, the Djokovic. Uh, yeah, I just a, a, very bad for everyone should be embarrassed. And um, also, but, like probably the tennis players. I bet they haven't watched Drive to Survive. I feel like I have a theory that like athletes don't consume media from other sports like except for maybe basketball players because they're just yeah. like so focused on their own i only say that because i remember uh, nba players tweeting about 30 for 30 but anyway i bet that the tennis players aren't smart enough to know to stay away from the cameras for some of this shit so i bet they're going to capture a lot because they yes. like, don't know that like oh actually i shouldn't do that especially you know Djokovic probably knows federer knows nadal knows serena williams obviously has like 40 million content deals Naomi Osaka knows. So, but those are like the five people you've heard of. Everybody else is just like, please, I could use some attention. I love the attention. I need some endorsements. Yeah, Give me the go. Daniel Ricardo. Like I make yeah. me famous. Let's do it. It's interesting that they're all solo sports too, right? They're kind of like well, that's the why they your, get the access. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In your head kind of thing. Yeah. Because you're lonely. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I took us off topic no, with no, Baku. I think I did too. <laughs> should we do like Claire, should we do like a lightning round of celebrities that are featured? in the show like just so I don't know I'm just like people should know that there is like a Brangelina episode and there is a Lindsay Lohan and a Paris Hilton episode and we do talk about the Kardashians and I think maybe one thing that would be helpful is like or just for me it would be interesting is like what you consider like the kind of like tentpole events of the show or like tentpole moments essentially I would say the getting together of Benefer Obviously, the most important thing to happen in the Jam Session universe since since the establishment of the Jam Session universe, Juliet. 
<laughs> yeah, it, definitely. I mean, okay. I was actually just reflecting today how it's almost a year or it's like nine months, which is so much longer than I would have yeah. guessed. Yes. Wow. Ma- yeah. Amazing. I'm so happy for them. I hope they're having a great day. I really, <laughs> I really want, th- I really do want them to get, to get married. I really need them. I need Ben Affleck to be nominated for an Oscar. I think we all need that. The Oscars needs that. George Clooney said he deserved it today. George Clooney said he deserved it. I think he deserves it. I just, it's, it's good for everybody. And then I need them to walk the red carpet together, you know, Oscar style and just bring it all back. That's, that just has to happen. I just want to say, Claire, counterpoint, I would prefer them to not get married. I don't think they need marriage. I don't think they should mix their, do you want them to stay together? together? It's like a nice life partnership. I don't think they should mix their finances. Seems too complicated. I bet well, she already Lopez. did. She already did that. Yeah, right. exactly. Disaster. Yeah. They both have like kids. Like they're both really rich. Like just like save your money for your kids. Don't commingle. It's fine. And I just think they should have a nice life together without this legal agra- arrangement. Like the Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Like yeah right absolutely. off into the sunset. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's yeah. I think I just want them to stay together. I mean, it is it is true that the first round, Benefer 1.0, at the end, was very traumatic and yeah. they weren't together all the time. And it, you know, I, we don't want to see that again. Yeah. But also, I will say, and we'll keep going with 10 polls in a second. What's crazy when you go back and look at the timeline is how quickly each of them got married after they yeah. broke up with each other. I think she got married within like six or seven months. Yes, that sounds right. It's like they break up in like February and then that and, summer. And then he's with um, Jennifer Garner right after. It's like very, it's kind of, I don't know. It's you realize in the, in the grand scheme of things, they were, they didn't give each other that much time. Anyway, Benefer's, well, <laughs> Benefer's a big, we just talk about it a lot. Um, Bran, we talk about Brangelina. That's okay. another, the Brangelina breakup and kind of um, it's sort of, you get to learn a little bit more about like paparazzi and tabloids through this story of like how, the famous Brad and Jen walking on the beach where he's wearing the trash t-shirt, like mm. how those shots happened. But anyway, the, the, that, whole, that whole discourse is a big thing. I would also say um, this might be a little bit more obscure to younger listeners, but the New York Post... We don't, bit- we don't have those. And if we do, we've already <laughs> alienated them. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, the New York Post Bimbo Summit photo. Mm. Cool. Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. Uh, Brittany... <laughs> Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Brittany, Lindsay, and and Paris. And just so everyone knows, we we do interrogate that that headline and all that comes out of it. So but I would say like that kind of era. Um, but th- that moment is sort of like a a big one. Amanda, what else? Like what are the other big definitely the start of like keeping up with the Kardashians is also sure. a thing. The start do. of TMZ and kind of all the the TMZ celebrities. Yeah. Um, and the start of the hills, I should say, is like yeah. Really, the the kind of move from it being a New York-based thing to a Los Angeles-based thing, which the, the Hills is right. a part of, and your familiarity with all of the L.A. partying scenes that comes from TMZ. Um, Tiger Woods. That's, nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Kim Kardashian, obviously. Um, we should say that Spencer Pratt did speak for this show. So Amazing. that's, uh, yeah. Spencer, I, Spencer Pratt and Ben Affleck are sort of battling for top, like, amateur media critic. Yeah. In this podcast, I, I think they're both very good. Honestly, they're both they're both very astute. Yeah, yeah. we didn't speak to Ben Affleck, but he just gives a lot quotes of about yeah. the media um, that are honestly spot on. Because once again, we love Ben Affleck. Um, 
pandemic season one, Ben Affleck just like doing press from his mm-hmm. desk for uh, the way back is like such a great, great time. I mean, tremendous. I guess he was like, like in the basement. Like, yeah. And like, you know, the very, very beginning of the pandemic was Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas on vacation and like being stuck in like some Caribbean locale. So like, I just feel like we've been through so much with Ben Affleck in the last two years, like let alone the last 20 years. It's so <laughs> wild. I just feel like he's like a permanent fixture of my life. But yeah. I feel good about that yeah, for you and and for Ben Affleck and for us. Yeah. I mean, from Ana de Armas to being single to back with Jennifer Lopez, does anyone have possibly a pandemic experience that could compare? I mean, incredible. Yeah. It, it really is championship. And one more interesting aspect of the show that kind of Claire kind of interrogates is like the extent to which that's intentional that Ben Affleck is in our life so much and how aware he is of it and like you know, the strategies and a lot of things that we try to talk about jam session all the time of like, how much is this of this is deliberate? How much are people thinking through this? The performance of celebrity, how like the performance of the tabloids at that moment interacted with the performance of celebrities. It's like, you know, it's a multi-million dollar business. Yeah. What's interesting to me about Ben Affleck. So like we talk a lot in Benefer about like one of the reasons, the Benefer episode about one of the reasons why they broke up was a lot about the press attention. And it's interesting when we're thinking about like, pandemic Ben Affleck really like getting in a podcast groove and like talking about the business of Hollywood and like how you know streaming releases are great like he he just he seems a lot more comfortable in in the long form interview form obviously he's doing it for 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 movie promotion and stuff but I did find it interesting because I was like is this just like what he's been waiting for for like a place where he can sort of charmingly monologue and like present the like really good side of him he's, he is he's been waiting for podcasts to, he's been waiting for, i kind of think so i think ben affleck has been waiting for podcasts because he is a good he's a very good conversationalist like he's sort of a generous conversationalist he has interesting things to say um and he can also like not talk about like you know yeah yeah <laughs> no, i, I have true. to say when he was on bill's podcast in december it was like it's just an, uh, an incredible, iconic, epic performance. It was so good. And he just talked about uh, Tom Brady and G a lot. <laughs> and it was like, uh, just unbelievable. I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was driving alone at night listening to it. And I was like, this is just one of the best experiences I've had in a long time. It was so great. Makes you wonder what his like podcast consumption is, if anything, or like media consumption. I think it's podcast consumption is probably low, but his like, casual media consumption is probably high. And I also think he probably reads a lot of nonfiction. He seems like the kind of like, I'm hunkering down with like gun germs and steel. I'll get back to you in three weeks. Like that yeah. kind of thing. Or like Empire of Pain. Yeah, yeah. But let's not put him in the like, I'm reading my 18th David McCullough book about, but, you know, but like, the Revolutionary War. But like what novels, I, what literature you know? is Ben Ben Affleck reading? Like what Other novel? than Dennis Lehane? <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. I can see him being a real Stephen King guy. Fellow New Englander. But like a little pulp, like he's like a pulpier fiction reader. Mm-hmm. He's not re- he's not reading yeah. Richard Powers. I bet he's into like Dennis Johnson, some of that Florida stuff, like just sure. in the swamps. Yeah. Um, I bet he would read a lot of the same things as Chris Ryan. Ultimately, what if he's what if okay. he's secretly like a Ferrante head? That'd be great. There's no way. I find that really really hard to imagine. <laughs> also, I yeah. hope not because this is an anti Ferrante podcast. So, <gasps> yeah, are you no. pro Ferrante? Would you like to share? Very pro Ferrante. Okay. What's your favorite Ferrante novel? I mean, I think I have to go with the first of the um, My Neapolitan, Me- Neapolitan series because okay. I found so. So I will say, um, I have a lot of sisters, mm. and I actually found their relationship 
the way she describes it to be kind like kind of like a sister relationship and like the, between the two girls. Okay, and that's like, very interesting. Like, like the love, the complication. Like, I just I don't know. And I so and I think in that first book when they're children and she's mm-hmm. and they and it hasn't for, sort of like fully exploded to like an adult having complex thoughts. They're just like they're trying to suss out the complex thoughts. I just thought that that writing was like really. I don't know. That is very valuable because I think Juliet and I both do not have sisters and also responded to my brilliant friend being like, okay, but you're not friends like that. Yeah. That here is like the, <laughs> the essential thing here is that you've made a, a whole book about friendship, but like that, that's not what's going on here. Have either of you watched the lost daughter or read the lost no. daughter? Okay. Then I won't spoil it for you. I do actually Juliet recommend it, even though it's, um, I know I, I heard Hall directed good. it. Yeah. Based and, and adapted it from a, Ferrante, I believe it's like a novella. I have not read yeah. The Lost Daughter. But there's a similar thing there where I just, I would just not do what the character does in a very simple way. I would just, you know what? I would go to another beach club. That doesn't spoil anything. Um, but I, any, I, I, I think the sister insight is valuable. And this is why I like, think I can't really access it. This is why I think like the whole thing of like, oh, it's not a woman. I'm like, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely a woman. She's well, definitely a woman. Yeah. She was yeah. she was uh, outed, right? She was a woman living in Rome. Yeah, but when there was a, I forget. Yeah, but there it was, was like the whole ten years ago or something. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, Claire, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, just like for having me. Sure, just like us will be on Ringer Dish every Monday starting February fourteenth, and then the seven ensuing Mondays. So please, please check it out. And uh, Claire, thanks again for joining us. Erica Cervantes, thank you for producing this episode, and thank you all for listening. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.